We are back, baby. Welcome back, Dan. One out of three, well, two are back. Still waiting <laughs> on Ali to get back so from his summer away. holiday. Yeah. Welcome back. Thank you. This uh, seems like this podcast has been living in parallel universes. We've got sort of like one set of the the couch guys and we've got the other set who have yeah, been in Europe. We're in a transition period at the moment. The substitutes. Get, get them back to the norm. How's it been going? Hold down the fort for me. Oh, it's been good fun, mate. Yeah. Good fun, but it's always good to have you back and have your smiling face and great voice next to us on the couch. Thanks. Yeah. I'm surprised these couches aren't wet, just full of tears from the oh, last three we weeks. They were. <laughs> Each time he's left, there's been puddles there. Wasting yeah. no time. Yeah. Look, it's it seems to be the storyline of every week. I'm sure you guys are kind of sick of beating that horse. Yep. Honestly, genuine, I'm sick of coming here and talking about Ferrari and just how shit they are. <laughs> but each week, you know, at least they provide some new way to fuck up their strategy or, you know, their, their race. Yeah, but I just feel like it's it's on repeat. I mean, you could probably play last week's episode and it'd be the same argument. They're just no, shit. So that, that's the disappointing thing. Every week it's a new shit thing. It is something new thing. each so time. That, that's Which the is problem. quite unbelievable, really. Yeah, I, I thought they'd run out of ways to fuck it up by now, but yeah. apparently they're still inventing new ways. <laughs> they're creative. We yeah. thought really creative. they hit rock bottom, but there's no, no. still more to go. No, no, it's, yeah. the, it's not the worst race. It's the worst race so far. <laughs> And look, the the summer break is upon us. Mm. It's time to strip off, let the balls hang loose at the beach. Definitely. Um, for Definitely. some drivers like Verstappen, um, but for hanging. other drivers, it's it's sort of winter whining. Mm. Fast in Sydney, um, still sort of raining really and, and cold. Yep. Um, and Ferrari fans, obviously, they're probably going to be yep. whining all through the summer break. Yeah, we're going into hiding. We're not going to do anything until the race, until the next race comes back to live in Spa. Yeah, mm. I remember Leclerc after last race said he's literally like not leaving his room until Hungary. Mm. I wonder what he's doing now, locking no. himself I in. I think he won't be leaving his room till the month is over. Yeah, yeah. God, he needs to throw some plates at a wall or something. I think at Bernardo's head, I would be throwing them. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. What did everyone think of the race on the weekend, despite Ferrari's shamble? Oh well, I mean, from from a Ferrari fan point of view, terrible. From a neutral point of view. It's pretty interesting race. Oh, yeah. Quite a bit happened. I mean, you just got to tip your hat to Verstappen to to come from tenth on the grid and his whole team and how strong they are mm-hmm. in terms of their strategy, in terms of their race pace. That what, that was just ins- the polarization of just Verstappen doing that, oh. and then watching Ferrari undo <laughs> something they had <laughs> in the bag was unbelievable. Turn, turning a two three into a four six versus turning tenth on the grid into, into a, a win. One like cruising with a spin with a spin with a spin with that a was spin. sick that was the second time he's done that in like three races where he's like come around spun done a perfect 360 yeah and just continued on like nothing's happened yeah it's the second time he's won a race with a spin yeah like most most drivers they spin like that's it that's game he's over done. yeah how yeah. you guys on to win yeah I, I, <laughs> and he's and he's been battling the anxiety of the power issues yeah you know, they had in qualifying and they put in this new power unit lead it going to the race mm. and for me like that would sort of hinder my confidence a bit mm. in the race just knowing like who knows water off a duck's back for that team yeah, I, yeah. and just for him he's just so switched on yeah it's like you can't put yeah. a foot wrong that he man. just knows how to win. And the team behind him is also very solid as well. And yeah. just he he leads that team with how good he is and yeah. his natural ability and the calls that he makes. Like they were saying he, he drove to the grid on the hard tire because they were intending to start on that. And obviously like we saw how tricky that was for the rest of the teams that tried to run it. And the first thing he said when he got out of the car was to his strategist, I think it's Hannes Schmitz or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. And he just said, we can't race on this tire. And that team immediately took his feedback on board and they, they changed their strategy. They put him on the soft. 
opened up his whole race. Mm. And like, yeah, it shows that's the, the level that they're at. And it shows the unison between the drivers and the team as well. Like, mm. that's the thing. There's and obviously a good chain throw. of command between like, so Hannah Schmitz, it was actually really good to see the light shine on her yeah. as well. Like Max thanked her after the race. Yeah. Um, and there was a few articles going around. Mm. Um, I listened to an interview they had with her and she sort of explained the strategy and, mm. and just the amount of discussion that goes on pre-race and between all the team. It's not just her um, as a lead strategist. It's it's with the whole team, with the drivers um, mm. about what tyres to put on. And yeah, that, that last minute decision wasn't a quick, easy one. No. It was well discussed. You've got, you got to have full faith in your driver and their feedback yeah. and, and the research that the team had done up in that weekend up until that point mm. and they made that call and it was a race winning call and yeah. you don't see those calls being made on a Ferrari pit wall that's the no. big difference between the two teams so if Red Bull were able to work out that it wasn't a good idea to put the hards on before the race even started how is it possible that Ferrari <laughs> couldn't even work it out see that the end of the race. they also see the Alpines put the hards on do absolutely shockingly on them McLaren then, put the hards on McLaren did the same yeah and then decide to do it like what is is this an insider job is there a is there a mule at ferrari that's trying to bottle it you actually them? have to think like yeah there's just someone in there just going i just want to fuck this shit up or that or they're putting bets against themselves and they're just making a bank of cash mm. like there's no other explanation <laughs> why how each week i wouldn't put it past the italians it honestly. so hard yeah it's, yeah it exactly and it's ferrari he's already shady but <laughs> honestly they're probably making a stack of cash on the side yeah it just is really baffling Mm. And the question begs, you know, does Bonotto deserve to stay no. as a team principal after all this? Normally I'd say, well, Ferrari had a, a blame culture for many years and team principals were always the first to go. And mm. they were supposedly changing it around with him to say, this is, this is the guy we back long term. The last time we gave this kind of stability to a, to a team principal and a technical leadership um, led to the Shoemaker era. But like, he's got to go, man. He's, he's leaving he the pit wall. Straight after making those calls, and I don't care if he's going to the bathroom or or whatever. Like you've your team has just fucked up again, and yeah. the first thing the cameras see is you walking off the so pit like, wall out the back. Hold it in, bro. It's cowardly. Like, just just, yeah. just stay on the pit wall. And there's no the the part that cooks me the most out of all of it is just there's no ownership. Like no, there's every no. single time they come out after fucking up, it's like nah, it was this, it was that. Like it's never. We we got it wrong. He he went into the weekend saying we're going to score a one-two yeah, in every single race until the end of the season. He came out of the weekend saying, "Oh, but we never had the pace to win. Which mm. one is it? You were you were second and third on the grid. You should have been first and second on the grid. That's yeah. another story as well. You know that Mercedes pop up out of nowhere and you let them steal your pole position. That's the first thing. That's yeah. yeah. The second thing is I don't believe this shit that you didn't have the pace to win. And even with no, the Mercedes, that's a load of bollocks. Top. Absolute no. load of bollocks. Leclerc was all over him the first half of that race when he was on a good strategy. And mm. with him, even with the Mercedes on top, the Ferrari is so much quicker. Like, yeah, the, the, first, the Mercedes shouldn't have been in the first place, but the fact that they were there, it shouldn't have been much of a threat. Exactly. Ferrari bottled it themselves. Like this, that's the only explanation. This is the thing: you give that Ferrari car to Mercedes or Red Bull, and as an operation, they're delivering one twos in that yeah, race. Definitely, that's without question. Because it wasn't just Leclerc. Science had his own set of issues with mm. the slow pit stop. Yeah. Um, Every week calls. now there's a slow pit stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's and Bernardo came out and his statement to the media was, was saying that he expected the hards to warm up. But it doesn't take a you know, space scientist to work out, space mathematician to work out that 
that is not a good strategy. And it was other car like, like there was the Alpines got on him so much earlier as well. Yeah, and we're already showing signs of it not working. Like mm. the only, uh, yeah. <laughs> I actually don't even know what to say at this point because I don't know how you can justify it. Like there's actually nothing. He goes, to explain their yeah, fuck he, he goes in that quote, Dan, that they're going to warm up and after 15 laps, they're going to be quicker. Yeah. But you've lost 30 seconds in the 15 laps. Yeah. Where do you get that time back from? Mm. Do they have a fucking time machine? What, what's the go? <laughs> I know. Honestly, like you could put anyone up there. You could put a 14-year-old who plays F1 manager up there and he'll do a better job. And I saw a funny stat on Reddit, um, which is <laughs> quite funny and sad at the same time. If Charles Leclerc and Ferrari fail to win the 2022 championship, it will be the first time that a team that achieved a 1-2 in the first race was unable to win the championship since 2010. And the team in 2010, Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. At least you're consistent. At least they're yeah. consistent. At least you're consistent. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, 2010 started off poorly. Like, they only really came into that championship right at the last minute because of Red Bull dropping the ball. And like, in that season, Red Bull were almost playing the Ferrari role that they're playing this year. And that was it. That was a team that was just getting used to starting to fight for world championships. Ferrari is a team now that had all of last year to prepare. They had the most aerodynamic concessions out of any of the top three teams. They had the whole season to prep a car. They had a whole season to sort out their strategy issues. They had a whole season to see their drivers in and develop that relationship where, like we were saying, what Verstappen does with, with Hannah Schmitz develop the relationship between the engineer and the driver so that they trust each other completely yeah. and their feedback. And now they're third in a two-horse race. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And they had, like, going into the season, you looked at the driver pairings and that, like, Science and Leclerc was yeah. debatably one of the strongest or the strongest driver pairing. And now it's really not the case, but not to their the driver's fault at all. No. Nah. And it makes them look bad yeah. as a driver pairing now, but... No, but I don't reckon that's... I don't, like, I don't reckon it's a good pairing anyway. Like, I don't think it's... And we've discussed with Shabzi, the producer as well, we were just saying, like... I think it would have been much better for Leclerc to have someone with more experience kind of guiding him mm. than have give him the like top seat and then have someone trying to like fight him half the time who honestly to me isn't a driver of that standard. Like I don't think Sainz is as strong as people make out to be. And he's, he's strong enough to be in the second seat. Definitely second driver. Yeah, but he's not giving him he's not giving the team much more. Essentially he's not giving Charles what he needs and for only Charles to be the best for them to have any chance of yeah. winning the championship for the driver, obviously, but even having a chance with the constructor. What does Charles need um, science to be for him to do well? Like, oh, he would need that? it. I mean, he kind of had it with Vettel, but I think that's what they still needed after Vettel. Like to go mm. from Vettel to Science wasn't the right transition. I reckon they still needed someone with experience that could have kind of still guided him. Essentially what, I don't know, Alonso's doing at Alpine with Ocon. Mm. Someone with a bit, has been there, done it, and can kind of give that expertise that Charles doesn't have. Like he's, I think he's still making too many errors that he wouldn't have been had he had a driver with experience next to him. And I think yeah. that's the that's the big thing for me. The the only two weaknesses of Charles at this point is those small errors that creep in that we saw in France and we've seen this season. Yeah. He's prone to those errors, and you know drivers like Hamilton and Verstappen never iron those errors out. Yeah. And the second thing is his decisiveness in leadership that you. You even see signs dictating his strategy from the car more than you see Leclerc more dictate Leclerc his strategy. Does, yeah. But Le it is easier to dictate your strategy when you're coming second or third compared to when you're leading and the you race. And you can't see, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. But Odd. that's what we're saying, this relationship that they've got to develop. Like, yeah. he's got to be giving decisive 
feedback. When Ferrari's saying we're putting you on the hards, he's got to be saying no. Mm. You know? Mm. Where Sainz actually does do that. Sainz has done that throughout this season, which... Don't get me wrong. That's not the way the situation is meant to operate. The the team is meant to be competent enough to give you a strategy that works. Yeah. Mm. But if the driver's got when to it comes overrule, down to it. Yeah, they yeah. got they got to give that feedback in the race, and they got to say, look closer to know like the hard tire is is fucked. I can't even get the medium to warm up properly. Mm. And it, it has in a way shown Leclerc's weakness by default because I think going to the season he had this image of the lead Ferrari driver. He had. Mm. He didn't have, you know, as much experience as the Alonso's and the Vettel's, but he looked like a strong enough character that he could lead the team, be decisive. But it has shown that yeah. he does have a bit of maturing, especially in the in the sense of just being getting angry yeah. and showing that emotion. Like you can tell, he doesn't handle it anywhere near as well as Verstappen does, for example, mm. when and, he's doing badly. And Schumacher had incredible leadership in that team back in the day. You know, they, he would protect the team in public and then drive them with incredible force behind the scenes mm. through through what he was doing. And I don't know what Charles is like behind the scenes, but his persona outside of the car doesn't make you think that he's doing that. Yeah, no, definitely not. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning into our Ferrari podcast again, guys. <laughs> Can we <laughs> change you next the topic? Week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, on another note, just before like we get onto other things, I want to talk about Max and Lewis. Mm. I feel like a weird sort of outcome to the whole, this whole Ferrari shenanigans is that Max and Lewis seem to be coming friends again. Yeah, they mm. you know congratulate each other after the race. Yeah, they were laughing together about the Ferrari strategy in the cool down they room. Were taking the piss. <laughs> they were taking after. the piss. Uh, when Max got asked in the press conference, you know, is he scared about um, Merck doing well again? And he was like, no, nah, it's great. They can take points off Ferrari. Mm. Um, so there's this friendly relationship there, which we haven't seen um, yeah. since Abu Dhabi, at least. I mean, it's, it's obviously a lot nicer because from Max's perspective, Hamilton is definitely not a threat on the championship. Yeah. So it's there's nowhere near as much tension as there was last year. Um, no, I'm happy to see it. I like it. I like that they're, they're driving more relaxed. They're getting along. Um, yeah, I'm a Max fan. I'm a Mercedes fan, but I also appreciate Max. Um, so to see them, see them working well and driving well, I'm happy to see it. Box, Matthias, box, box. Welcome to the couch, Carol. Thank you. Good my two, back. my two July guns. <laughs> 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 what do you uh, think of the race on the weekend? What were your sort of takeaways? Oh God, there's so many. Um, I don't know. I I thought initially it was really strong. It was really really good, and I really enjoyed it. But then there was just so much happening. Like there was a lot of pirouetting on the um, racetrack mm. as well you know obviously down to tires and um, weather been a bit all over the shop as well but yeah um i know you mentioned already but like max and charles and yuki they were just like spinning around yeah. uh, like ballerinas it was hilarious and i thought it was really good how they saved themselves got back on the track and just kept going again yeah like, it was the strong winds wasn't it it was quite windy and obviously heading into the corners it just would have thrown them off yeah, and that particular corner as well kept getting a lot of people. You could see that in like practice and qualifying as well. It was throwing people off left, right, and center. There was a lot of people going wide. You know, as we've said before, is like that track pretty much suits that kind of age group of like Max and the crew because it's like a fucking karting track. Yeah, they know? love it, don't they? They it, love it. Yeah, it like it's like, like brings them back track. to the old days. Yeah, you know. So um, is that because it's got like vertical, like you got descents and and rises in the like terrain as well it's it's that as well but as well as that if you actually look at it it looks like a like it's just like a square that's just been 
pulled out left right and center it's got Uh all these crazy little corners and these highs and lows exactly that so it's a bit of a weird one to look at but Mm. it seems like it must be a real fun one to be on like they had such great crack on it um i did kind of think though there seemed to be a bit of like you know annoyance with the drivers like we saw like obviously ricardo you know and getting that penalty um as well um with um who was it was um stroll stroll Stroll, that was it yeah and i initially when i saw that i thought actually stroll was in the wrong but it was actually you could see it was ricardo Mm. you know so they kind of went like literally into each other and so that was hectic and then there was um uh alpine like they were just were not friends in that race it was unbelievable you Mm. know at the start of the race in the middle of the race and kind of towards the end it's like like proper rivalries yeah well that's how we saw that amazing daniel ricardo double overtake Mm, i thought Uh, he was back for a second there honestly that was like that got me so so happy to see that that grit that I've almost forgotten about in Danny Ricardo. It's like it's like he re- reawoke. He was back. He <laughs> yeah, was just, and then the beast has awoken. Yeah, again. Yeah. yeah, there was lots of simultaneous um, overtaking though uh, on mm. on that track as well. Which you know, is surprising because well. it's not really an overtaking track. No, not traditionally. No. Yeah, no. like you know, there was like Russell and um, Ricardo. I was just like, right, they were just going for it. It was just unbelievable. I was like, that is really smart. But then there was lots of really like crazy tight overtaking on the main uh, straight as well and yeah. um, you saw that one with max um doing that um and i was just like wow that is epic he was like wheel to wheel with uh charles like and mm. he just took it and he's just like yeah it's like going off piste again yeah <laughs> that, that was so a big sick. that was the big upside of not all the tire compounds sort of turning on that mm. there was big differences in the performance there are a the lot cars. of variables this weekend yeah, between so, the wind and the tires so between strategy and on track racing it was just there was a lot of opportunity for the drivers to get actually side by side and wheel to wheel and actually have a good battle, which was, yeah. um, yeah, like it led to an exciting race, like a, subli- a surprisingly exciting race. And talking about variables, even before the race, seeing Nicholas Latifi top practice. <gasps> oh, the man. goat, oh God. the Don. Honestly. The special one. The special one mm. pulling out of the bag in the wet. He's like, he just, everybody forgets about him. He's like, you know, the, you know, the, mm. the sleepy one in the corner. And then all of a sudden there, you just see that, you know, Colgate smile. It's like, I'm back. I'm like, yeah, yeah only for a short term, mate. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I love his humbleness. So he comes around and he goes on the radio or they, the team radio in saying, you know, you got your P1 at the moment. Mm. He's like, oh, I was wondering if that clapping from the crowd was for me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, <yes. laughs> the guys oh, copped online. Not used to it. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to buy a t-shirt and a cap now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> The poor man's been copping online abuse for the last six months, so I think it's the least he deserves. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I mean, then he went back true. to normal, though, in qualifying and in the race. So. <laughs> no All the way down to the bottom, yeah. you know, that was it, I know. Poor the, guy. But, you know, he had his moment. Yeah, he that's did. true. Yeah. The goat showed up just that one session and now that's what the goats fade do. back. Yeah, yeah. You know? Fall back into the shadows now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, any other takeaways from the race or should we move on to the big news that has come out this week? Oh, I mean, it was... Um, it kind of it, it taught us a lot, I think, about the the top three teams and where they're at currently, um, and where they need to improve across the summer break. Um, obviously, the the factories will go into a bit of a shutdown period now. Everyone sort of takes some time off and they go reflect and they mm. they go away. And I mean, but obviously, their minds are going to continue thinking about the racing and and what they could do better going into the second half of the season. Um, I think for me the big takeaway will be if Red Bull just continue to be unstoppable in the second half of this championship. It's going to turn really sort of drab quickly if they just continue to operate at this high level. Yeah. And um, the next two tracks coming up 
after that break, um, Spa and Monza, that's two tracks on paper that should suit them perfectly. Mm. I don't like saying this, but it is promising to see that Merca, the upgrades are working and mm. they're, they're competitive again. Yeah, um, It is somewhat of a three-horse race, even though Red Bull are running away with it. Uh, but look, hopefully the summer break, Red Bull will probably stay the same, but mm. hopefully it's enough time to let Ferrari get their shit together, which yep. isn't very well. hopeful at all. Yep. Uh, and hopefully Merck can continue improving. Yeah, I think on Merck, like, I can say this because Maddie's not on the couch, I'll pay him a rare compliment. <laughs> they've, they've really, even if their car hasn't been strong, they have delivered the maximum from every weekend, I feel. Yeah. You know, they, they have, they've only had two weekends where they've had proper front-running pace, which is probably Silverstone in this weekend, and both times Hamilton's delivered. Like, for me, he's driving as well as he did last year. Yeah. And that's a pretty high compliment that I often don't give to Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. After his, I think it was when he got P3 and he was, like, even saying that it felt like, yeah. it felt so good that it was, like, you know, a feeling that he relates to when he started his career. Mm. So he's obviously reignited that that flame, and he's yep. he's riding that wave. So can you see that? Continue. I kind of think as well, though. You know, we keep seeing it getting mixed up again. That you know, that middle crew, um, mm. in the F1 challenges about how they're doing and they're going up and down. You can kind of see Alpine even there now as well. Again, mm. I mean, Alonso is a force to be reckoned with. You know what I mean? He might be forty-one, but he's doing pretty well. You know, yeah. and I have to say, from what you were saying earlier, you know, seeing like the friendliness again with you know Mercedes and Red Bull. You know, yeah. they're always going to be f- battling against each other. There's no doubt about that. But to see them like kind of have the crack with each other on the podium and yeah. like smash each other with the champagne, like it was pretty good. So you know, it's really nice. And I think maybe it was the week before there was a really great um photo taken of something like about even button was in it there was like about like 10 or 11 uh drivers all there together all just sitting down having dinner together and i thought mm. you know it's really rare you actually get to see them all hang out you know between races because they've got so much going on with strategy and mm. you know resting because it's such a crazy year there's so many races back to back it was really good to kind of see the boys all together you know kind of mm. looked like somebody you'd see back in maybe even you know senna or uh, mansell days you know so it's mm. good and Alpine is an interesting one for me. They were so it was so funny before the race. Um, Otmar was getting interviewed by one of the Sky Sports guys, mm. and he had a smile ear to ear, and he was so confident. <laughs> He's like, you know, they were fourth and fifth on the grid. Yep. They looked like they were going to smash it, and just slowly, like as the Red Bulls came through, they sort of, well, you know, lowered down the ranks. But they're strong. Yeah, and I mean, if they don't take each other out on their way down to turn one, they're actually they doing pretty well. Yeah. But, I mean, we're, we're going to come on to it in a little bit because obviously there's all kinds of stuff happening off track at that team. Yeah. Um, they, I think they've given themselves a really good head start now against McLaren for that fourth spot in the Constructors' Championship. Mm. They've got a good driver pairing. Their car continues to get quicker. Um, it's just a case of if they can actually keep everything together because that, that team always has that kind of air of, in, in some ways, a bit like Ferrari, of they're on the verge of just exploding. Falling apart. Just falling yeah, apart. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I hope McLaren... McLaren seemed to like the summer break, especially Danny mm. Ricciardo. I remember last year, he came back and he that's where he won yeah. at Monza. Yeah. Um, and he said it was purely based off the summer break, getting his head back in yep. shape. So yeah. hopefully the same thing. Hopefully you can see the Alpines and the McLarens continue to fight. Mm. yeah together. look it takes its toll as i said you know some of the logistics of the traveling that they've done alone is like ridiculous like so you know there's a lot of pressure to win but there's also a lot of pressure to perform as well and you know when you're moving around time zones like that and it's just crazy so mm. fair play to them i you know 
I, you know, salute all of them that they managed to get into their car. You know, they get to throw themselves around the track, you know, and they're still trying to manage and do the best that they can, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not an easy job, you know. And I think, you know, people watching who've never watched, you know, F1 before and watching Drive to Survive can actually see the trauma and the drag and everything that goes with the, you know, being the, the job of an F1 driver, you know. Trauma, God, that's, that's <laughs> harsh. <laughs> Trauma for an F1 driver. That's I definitely feel traumatized. Yeah, yeah. oh, you do. God help camera. you. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and one man who's definitely tired is uh, Vettel, who yep. has announced his retirement Call in F1. Quits. Yeah. Is it surprising? I feel like I saw it coming. You know, it's obviously in retrospect easy to say that, but mm. you could kind of tell he was thinking about other things. Yeah, I mean, I kind of I look at him and like he's still you know, youngish, you know, what, 35? Younger than Hamilton, which is, and, and Alonso. And Alonso. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he's 35, four world champions underneath his belt. Mm. You know, he's been racing since he was 19 um, and he's been with like some serious, you know, um, F1 teams as well, which is really good. But the um, socially media shy person kind of became like a social junkie overnight, you know, yeah. Yeah. all of a sudden jumped in, got an Instagram, you know, account sat down like he was looked like he was in a bunker i was mm. like i was like is somebody forcing him to do this like yeah. it was all really great at least he did his hair somewhat he didn't look yeah. like a complete rat bag <laughs> yeah but yeah and i just kind of thought like fair play to him you know it's 16 long years you know um driving and he just obviously wants to make a change and i think i did expect it i just didn't know it was going to be like this year and also kind of think of all, all those other drivers that deserve a go. Like, look at Piastri sitting in the in mm. the background there waiting, you know. Even, you know, the W Series um, uh, driver Chadwick as well, you know, there's, you know, even thoughts with her. Um, and I just think like, yeah, give somebody else a go, you know. it's. I think he's so focused on wanting to do like good in the world, you know, hey, whether it's yeah. Yeah. I've really seen that or, you know, like, you know. He really made a thing this year of like <laughs> voicing his opinion on obviously political topics like yeah. climate change um, and he's obviously put in an effort. He always, I can't remember the quote, but he just talks about, you know, F1 is more than the racing, it's the people and yeah. he loves the people yeah. and you could see him just build these amazing relationships in F1 mm. um, over the, you know, his whole career but I think especially recently, you could, you could tell his focus was on the relationships with the people and not so much the racing. Yeah, absolutely and I think from a driving point of view, if you solely looked at that, I thought he was going to do one more season because mm. in some ways this has been a pretty good year from him considering the car that he's been given. Yeah. But from a from a human and a man point of view, especially when you saw the video that he posted on Instagram, you can understand the the kind of conflict that must be going on inside his head. Yeah, he's yeah. got a family. And, yeah, and it's reached that tipping point now where he's like, you know what, I don't really consider myself Sebastian Vettel the F1 driver anymore. Yeah. I want to be Sebastian Vettel, the man now. Yeah. And fair enough. In some, yeah, in some ways you can't blame him for that. Like yeah. it's a similar thing that happened to Rosberg. They just get to a point where you're like, you know what? Like, I don't want this to be who I'm defined as anymore. I want to be known as, as somebody else. And yeah. And you look at Alonso, Alonso is still single, has no kids. So mm. they're living in two different worlds. Uh, Alonso no, I don't know if he's single, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> is he not single? He's going out with, um, I've seen him in Baku. He's going out with, um, oh God, I don't even know if this is actually should be public knowledge or not. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> um, yeah, so he's going out with, I can't remember her name, but she's heavily involved in MotoGP. 
Okay. Um, she, I think she's a, a journalist for there, like, and I saw them hand in hand walking around Baku two days after um, mm. the F1. And I'm like, oh my God, look at you. So, yeah. She's got a need for speed too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably GP. works there in favor, you know, so you've got to be maybe a certain type of partner to obviously be going out with somebody who's an F1 driver, I think. Oh, yeah. 100%. You know, like, 100%. And he, he did used to date Valentino Rossi's ex-girlfriend. So, oh, okay. that, that's so he likes a, the two wheelers. Maybe, maybe. He's <laughs> a bit of a bachelor. Yeah, but that he is someone who is defined by being an F1 driver. There is oh. nothing else in his life that will ever stack up to to his driving. That, mm. That's all he wants to do. Yeah. He's pure competition, you know. And he's bloody good at it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he really does give it his all. Like, he's, he really does. And yeah. like, seen he him hasn't there, lost his touch at he all. He hasn't, yeah. you know. He's, like, still got that, like, need for speed. You yeah. know, he's just going to be going He's got, he's got that bad man sort of vibe to him too. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't show much emotion. He's got that, that he's, focus yeah, still. Yeah. And he's definitely got the biggest ego on the grid. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and I've been to um, two of his retirements in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> so it just makes me laugh, you know. I was like, oh, what's going to happen this year? You know what I mean? But like, it's going to be yeah. quite interesting. So he's going to be there in Abu Dhabi again. But like, you know, retiring from a team, but, you know, entering another team. So it's really quite interesting. He's a bit of a character. Yeah. So um, I really hope that, you know, this change and this move for him is going to be really good for him. I just wonder because there obviously was, you know, a bit of knocking heads um, with him and Ocon on the track. And mm. I wonder what's going to be like, you know, with him in that team you know you know under the eyes of that boss you know with um his son driving like as well like it's a bit yeah. i don't know it's it's, it's gonna curious. be interesting dynamic it's gonna change completely and i was thinking about that in terms of vettel's decision like maybe that poor dynamic between the stroll family in the garage had a influence on vettel's decision to leave early mm. You yeah, know, like with the father-son and oh my God. and, and you Well, know. from what we've heard, the dynamic in, in yeah. that garage isn't always that great. Mm. No. And so, Stroll's sort of that dictator role. Yeah. It's yeah. his team, do as I say. And if, if Vettel isn't getting his voice heard, he he's just like, I'm, I'm out of here. You know? Yeah. Which, but it's true. He was saying that actually in his um, uh, Instagram post. Like, you know, he's like, oh, my favorite color is blue. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, you know. And then he's like, yeah, you know, and he was naming all these other things and like um, attributes that he had and all these kind of things like how typical German as well, you know, like mm. I don't have any patience and, you know, I, I, I like things to be done. And so I can imagine however it evolved being in that team, it probably went against his grain. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know that I can't imagine a driver as hard as it is to do what he do, does for him to kind of maybe keep that mental state there when he's kind of hearing, you know, the rivalry that the father have with each other and how it works and how I want you to do this and do that. You know, I just think maybe he's just like, nah, fuck it. That's it. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, got to leave on a high. I've done my bit. I mean, Dan, you're wearing the Aston shirt. How do you I know. I am wearing it. This shirt came in. So I came back from Europe mm-hmm. and I walked into my room and there was a package sitting there. And it was my mate, a Jimmy's Life, who's mm. a videographer for Aston Martin. And oh, he'd yeah. sent me this just in time for this week's episode. Fine. So perfect. perfect timing. Wow. It is last season's shirt and he's meant to be sending me the new one. But shout out to a Jimmy's Life. He might as well wait till next year now. He'll get you on with Alonso written on the back. That would be sick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Give it to me in Abu Dhabi. I'll try and get Vettel to sign it for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have to get him on the pod next year and ask him about the dynamic. Who, with Alonso? Alonso. Mm. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be good. <laughs> But, we could um, do a vice versa, right? I know some <laughs> fanboys, so they'd be a cue. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, and on Aston Martin as well. Obviously, Alonso moving to Aston Martin. What do we think about this move? Is it 
Uh, we had a fan question actually, and they sort of asked, "Is it a backwards, sideways, forward move?" Oh, I for think him? it's mm. about as sideways a move as you can probably get, to be honest. I mean, obviously something something clicked with with Alpine for Alonso, and as soon as he saw that opening come up with with Vettel's retirement, he decided to jump. It was a quick move, like it, they were straight for on a, this case. for a deal to come together. Apparent or apparently in yeah. four days in Formula One of that kind of magnitude for a driver like Alonso, obviously all the terms that he dictated were agreed to. Yeah. And and Otmar behind the scenes had been, you know, talking a bit of shit about Alonso saying we've lost points due to his driving at at points this season which may have been That's in a some bit ca- unfair. It was, there was a lot of that, reliability exactly, in there yeah. too. I think so. it, it kind of both camps had to take a bit of the blame there and um they obviously wanted to sign him to a one-year deal. He wanted two years. They've got Piastri waiting in the wings. They had this vision of where they want Alonso to be. And then on top of all of that in my opinion, they screwed themselves with their long-term Ocon contract because in a perfect world, I think Alonso and Piastri would have been great for that team. Oh, I think that would have yeah, been you epic. Got the, the senior experienced yeah. driver and the young driver. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, um, Piastri would just be soaking up to be sitting there yeah. you know, with, a, with a partner and driver yeah. friend like Alonso. It would have been absolutely brilliant. But, yeah. you know, I kind of think whatever happens, I mean, whether it's a money's this situation or not, we know how floppy these contracts are. Four yeah. days... I don't fucking believe it. Mm. You know what I mean? Who knows how long Vettel might have been wanting to do this or maybe even the fact that, you know, somebody might have, you know, hinted that Vettel wasn't retiring, that yeah. maybe this was going to be, you know, Vettel's last year. So Vettel's like, do you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to say goodbye first. And, yeah. and, you know? <laughs> and we know Alonso had spoken to Aston Martin previously when he was trying to return to Formula One. So there was already a baseline relationship there where he could have gone back to that and said, hey, the terms I was willing to come on then, they still apply. And yeah. I currently don't want to be at Alpine. They're not giving me what I want. From a performance point of view, yeah, it's a sideways move. Mm. Both teams are not going to be at the front anytime soon. And the guy's 41. Yeah. So yeah. He's, he's running out of time. I don't think we're going to be in a situation where next year he somehow ends up in a front-running car and he's winning the title. Like, no, realistically, it's, it's that's... Realistically, the odds are against it, him. It's yeah. happened once in Formula 1 in like the last 30 years. Yeah. And it was an extreme circumstance with Braun. Um, so, yeah... I've, it's kind of hard to say. He he, he kind of has nothing to lose by moving, and he kind of had nothing to lose by staying. So yeah, I at think least he's gained exciting. an advantage in the sense that he's now secured more years in F one. Yeah, which is kind of what he wanted. What he wanted. What I want to go back to is what you mentioned before with the sort of the ideal sort of pairing for a team is a senior driver and a younger driver who you know you're training and building up mm. to secure your future. With losing Alonso. And they've got Ocon. Mm. Would they bring Piastri in? Because Ocon, you wouldn't quite say, is in that seniority position where he can he can be a leader, but he doesn't have the experience to teach anywhere near as much as he could have with Alonso no, to Piastri. I wouldn't trust him in that team leadership role. And I think in some ways, Alpine, Alpine by not announcing Piastri straight away, show that they may be scoping out what else is available on the market at the moment because mm. that should be an absolute dead certain fit. And within an hour of Alonso allowing announcing that he's leaving, there should have been an announcement saying, oh, Piastri signed as Alpine driver next season. I don't know about that. Um, I think they also want that, they love that limelight as well. 
you know so i mean mm. look devries as well like just so many people sitting in, that, in holding, the wings yeah. holding in that pen you know mm. it's like pick me pick me pick me you know so yeah. it's going to be really interesting who like does fall into there yeah. i would love and not just because i'm a female but i would love to see a female driver come in mm. there you know somebody from the w series or mm. down there i think it could be a really interesting that. dynamic yeah. Yeah. you know and it's funny because i think a lot of people almost i've had a f- couple people ask me they're like are women even allowed in F1? A lot of people don't know that it's even an option. Yeah, it's, it's one of the only sports in the world that's not segregated for sex. Yeah, if you're if you're a female and you're good enough, you can race in Formula One. You can do it. Yeah, Susie Wolf was um, yeah. uh, was a, a holding driver for a very long time. It was just really sad that she never got the opportunity. I think it was Williams actually. She was. Yeah, she was she, a reserve driver. Yeah, she was a reserve yeah. driver there. Like, would have been amazing to see her kick in there because she is an awesome driver as well. You know, so mm. she's a massive part of like um, women in motorsport as well too. So yeah, no, absolutely. I think some team announced it about three or four weeks ago that they were um they were supporting you know women in motorsport a lot more and that they mm. were trying to encourage a lot more females to kind of come in as that uh, reserve driver as well um so i definitely think it's 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 in it's in it's in the making for I sure i think it actually was alpine i think it might have been yeah 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 a rumor i heard with this whole chat about who's going to take this alpine seat was the potential for ricardo to bring in yeah. that experience which would be a great move for him, if he wanted to if, if, be a little team whore and move to another team again. If the rumours about him at McLaren are true and they're looking for a way to get him out of that team, even though the way they have to kind of do it contractually is they have to kind of convince him to break his contract with McLaren. Um, but it kind of makes sense for him as well because he succeeded in Renault yeah. when he was there. He knows the team well. He doesn't sit in the McLaren car. But, but more to the point, like where else is he going to go? Yeah. It's it's there or potentially the second seat at Williams. They're the only two options left on the table. But that's at this the thing. Point. He didn't have any choice, and now he kind of has exactly. another door opening yeah. that he could possibly take. Exactly. So if he if he goes away into the break now and he thinks I really can't do another year of this sort of floating around in the midfield, not not delivering to my own expectations, maybe I am better off going to Alpine. And the options there, there's nothing stopping him from mm. leaving McLaren and taking up that option. The only the only thing that will block that is a if Alpine come to their senses or don't come to their senses, they figure <laughs> out what they want to do with Piastri, because the only scenario where Piastri isn't going to Alpine, I think, is if he's been promised to another team already. If yeah. he if he's got some kind of pre contractual arrangement with well, the original it, idea was to loan him out for a year, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. they were saying they would do that as well. And, and this if, is, this could be a bit far fetched, but imagine right, Ricardo goes to Alpine, mm. they sack Alcon, they bring Piastri in, two Aussies at Alpine. <laughs> I thought about this as well. I, actually I thought, thought you were going to say this. Piastri to McLaren for a second. No, no. Mm. no. Yeah. That would be hectic. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't imagine a better person for Piastri to learn from than Ricardo because he's, he's basically done it all except for winning a title. Yeah. So I feel like if that happened, like all of Australia would be watching it for him. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah. It'd be basically Team Australia. Yeah. Yeah. But you not kind of think I I just kind of doesn't sit with me well and I just don't know why but it's just Ricardo moving so often like yeah. you know I know it's all about finding Alonso's the car Alonso's doing the, the team. same thing I know yeah I he's just... Australian Alonso at this point <laughs> he is yeah because <laughs> yeah. Alonso's what been at five or six different teams now yeah he's racking them up now yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's been at what he's been at Alpine now which is the same team he 
pretty much started his started career with, at. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. He's been back to that team. This was his third time back there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way his career is going, like he might go back again. You don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything can happen in F1 these days. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, a little funny stat I want to just show you, talk to you guys about mm. uh, before we move on. I saw this post and it said, the headline was, Stroll is the Grim Reaper of F1 teammate retirements. <laughs> <laughs> So these are all the, his teammates that have retired when Stroll has been their teammate. Massa, career ended in 2017 mm. with him as his teammate. Srotkin, 2018. Vettel, 2022. And now Alonso. Mm. So Stroll, is, Stroll <laughs> is the Grim Reaver. Who's next? Yeah. yeah. He's just destroying his teammates, this Stroll guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's always going to have a seat the way it is anyway, isn't it? Like. Yeah, well, you know, that that's... In some ways, you can only credit um, Aston Martin for, for for actually signing Alonso and not just filling a seat with someone that would make his son look good. Like yeah. It's a statement of intent from the team if they're going, you know what, we're, we're willing to put our cash on the line and bring in big names in the hope that's going to push the team forward. But yeah, I mean, I, I really don't see any other ending to that move other than fireworks because a personality like Alonso clashing with an owner like Stroll oh, yeah. and his son is in the other car. They should do a Drive to Survive season special just on Aston oh. Martin, honestly. <laughs> yeah. That would Literally. be... That's it. Why you don't see behind closed doors, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. A, a, a driver with a history... Driver principal meeting. Yeah. yeah. A, a driver with a history of fucking up teams from the inside versus, <laughs> versus a team owner that's a multi-billionaire and he's, is known now for just... Only wanting his way, only wanting to win. That's an unbelievable plot. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and last thing, it's, this episode's getting long, but I have to bring this up because mm. Porsche are my number one You're brand in boy, the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have sort of, it's come out now, you know, the rumors have been in the works for a while now, mm. but there was this weird contractual thing, involves a lot of lawyer terminology that I can't really wrap my head around, but. Mm. Basically, the deal of Porsche buying 50% of Red Bull for mm. a 10-year contract has come out. Um, and I don't know if you guys know about this, but it's in this weird... It came out in this really weird way. So, for them to sign the contract, they have to get approval from the EU countries and then 20 other countries outside of the EU. And each country has to sign off. And the idea of this is to make sure there's no bad dealings going on. It's all quite complicated. Mm. But Thank you, Solicitor Dan. Dang, yeah, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is when I need to phone a friend, like yeah. a boyfriend, and get him in and explain this because I have no idea. But in Morocco, their legislation means that when anyone signs this deal, it has to be made public. Mm. Uh, and that's how we all found out about this because they went to sign it and it made, was made public and we all found out about it early. Mm. And it was meant to be signed, this deal was meant to go public, I think, two weeks ago in Austria. But the FIA didn't sign off on the 2026 engine regulations, mm. which they were meant to. Yeah. So they put it on the back Unsold. burner. But yeah. I feel um, like, yeah, this is the longest drawn out contractual engine supply saga story thing of all time for, for Porsche slash VW slash Audi entering F1. It's yeah, there's no secret like, now. It's been stretched this, for a long time This has been going now. for 10 years and the fact that it's finally getting towards the end now where we might actually get like an official announcement. Yeah. Like just thank and God And honestly, it's over. <laughs> it could, um, from what I heard, it could be even tomorrow yeah. when this podcast comes out. So apologies if the news is already out. Yeah, well, we broke it first, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be some... Um, it's going to be some interesting uh, collaboration for mm. sure. I'm really excited to, you know, hear what they do. 
you know like as red bull are at the moment they're like on fire mm. so it's it's gonna be really cool yeah. yeah does that mean you're gonna switch your allegiance from aston martin to red bull i've what do you mean mate i've always been a red bull fan oh, i know yeah. i can't say that wearing aston martin shirt <laughs> yeah. but he's just supporting Seb at the moment nothing made me happier <laughs> like i'm always been a red bull fan from day dot mm. and to see porsche collab with them i'm like you guys know what you're doing. It is going to be. It's <laughs> yeah. going to be cool to see the Porsche name on the side of a car again in oh, Formula One. It just fits their brand so well, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, the branding, the noise, everything. It's going to be epic. You yeah. know, yeah. it's uh, it's going to be really interesting. So yeah, bring it on. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Cool. Well, thanks for joining me again, guys. After my European break, it was so good to see all your beautiful Anytime. faces again. <laughs> Anytime. And uh, we'll see you guys after the summer break. We'll do a podcast leading up to the first race back. Um, I'm sure we'll come back all tanned and <laughs> yeah, budget smuggled tans sure, yeah. in our yeah, <laughs> no chance winter solstice. Yeah. But um, until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks. See ya.